Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your guests, Matt, Matt Glazer. And Jeff Dome. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 149. Matt Glazer is the lead electrical engineer at Kinetic, building IoT wearables for the industrial workforce by day and building electric longboards by night. He's obsessed with space and can talk hours on end about the current state of space technology. Jeff Dong is the head of manufacturing at Kinetic, in charge of making sure current products are manufactured correctly and new products are designed to efficiently scale. If he wasn't doing this, he'd be a farmer back home in California. So I got a little question. Yeah, space it, or farm? Uh, both. So, Jeff, you said you'd go back home to California for for farming, but would you go farming on Mars? Ooh, um, good question. Yes. Um, although I would probably send someone like Matt out first. <laughs> I had this fear that I would just end up suffocating to death in some like asteroid, you know, puncturing some seal. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I like farming, but not, not that, that much. I would, I wouldn't die for it. So I owe you an asteroid resistant greenhouse on Mars. Yes. But then I think I would also get trapped there. So, there would have to be a way back and not just like Elon Musk sending more people to Mars to keep me company. It's like, I need a way to get back home. You know, I already complained about weather in New York, complaining about weather in Mars would be a whole different, whole different aspect. I have to be home by Christmas, right? Exactly. Right. So, so you guys are basically talking about recreating the Martian in real life where Matt sends Jeff to Mars and then Jeff plants potatoes there, right? I think he planted potatoes out of something that, like, like human excrement. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was a little desperate. I would assume so. Can you even get all the nutrients you need from from that? I assume. But I'm just just on record, Jeff had a bet in ter- uh, with me to see how quickly I could talk about space, and he beat me, which is impressive. Yeah. Well, well, Parker asked the question, so <laughs> I think I think you still owe me like the, the five dollars though. So that that was our bet. <laughs> All right, so um, this is not the first time we've had Kinetic on. Uh, episode 53, before we hit three digits, that feels like ages ago, um, we had Aditya and Mihail on. And what are their positions at the company? Aditya is the CTO of the company, and Mihail is currently the director of analytics. Oh, oh that that's right. That's right. Um, and that was on in February 2017 so it's almost been two years um so for our listeners that have not listened to that podcast yet what is kinetic so kinetic um one of the like you said we're we're a company building iot wearables for the industrial workforce and kind of what we're aiming for is a um the device we build the reflex is used to reduce back injuries so any form of warehouse you're picking up a heavy box you're moving it, you're probably not moving it correctly. And from there, we have we kind of do some behavioral training kind of thing um, to teach workers how to lift properly, thus reducing back injuries, thus saving companies extremely large sums of money on workers' comp and so on and so forth. So it has a name now because when yes. uh, Adisha and Mihail were on the podcast, it was, it was just called the device. The kinetic device or the wearable yeah. unit. Now the it's officially unit. the reflex. Reflex. Where, where did that name come from? Um, a couple weeks of continuously 
generating as many name ideas as we possibly could. And that was the one that we all settled on the, that we liked the most. And how does the reflex do like modify or not modify, but how's it uh, influence people's behavior? Does it like pop out little treats? <laughs> That'd be great. I kind of wish it would do that. Like tootsie um, rolls. So what it does is the device sits on your hip, either left or right side. And when you do an improper lift, when you return back to a standing position, it'll buzz. And it's a strong enough buzz that you'll feel it, but not enough to be over the top. Um, and it also, it's got a display on the device so you can see, I see, I call it the device. Um, it'll show step, it has a step counter. It'll show how many high risk postures, which we call what we call the bad lifts, uh, per day. And then, um, it's got a clock. So you can see how many you do per day. So the device clips to your, your belt, correct? Mm-hmm. So, so is, does it, uh, does it generally work off of like the sensing angles or? So yes. Yeah. We, we have, um an IMU and a altimeter and between those two we have some, and then on top of that, we have a bunch of machine learning algorithms going that can infer your back angle, the, the angle of your back. And based on that, we have a point where we consider a bad high risk, a bad lift, high risk posture. And then once you come back up, it'll let you know that you've done a high risk posture. And then um, obviously you don't want this thing to buzz at you. You prefer not to have it buzz at you. So, the wearer starts being like, Hey, maybe I can, I'll, I'll, I'll squat instead of bending my back. Or like, maybe I can lift that, lift my table up a couple inches higher. So I don't have to bend over as much to grab boxes. Cool. The, um, I think also it, it basically, it reminds me of a, the device is like a pager device. We hear that a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, and so the, we'll put some pictures on, on our blog and, and go check out episode 53. To know more about the device or, the reflex well <laughs> <laughs> now um so let's expand a bit more what y'all do at kinetic so matt so you said you're the lead electrical engineer uh what's what's that entail so i do pretty much all of the hardware development at the company so if it has to exist in reality uh and it's electrical i'm the one working on it so boards pcbs initial bring up of practically everything new designs. Yeah, pretty much everything. And then I also kind of, I, I handle a lot of logistics within the company itself. So like getting things out the door, getting things in the door. Ordering toilet paper. Yeah. Uh, office manager seems to be one of my roles. So <laughs> I also order snacks. So it's uh, important to stay on his good side. Yeah, snack master. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate covered pecans are uh, a special treat at our company. It's called everyone just gains weight. <laughs> <laughs> how about uh, how about you, Jeff? Uh, yeah, so I I run the manufacturing side of it. So um, everything as sort of as sort of you mentioned earlier on. So everything from you know making sure that units get built, um, designing the mechanical side that goes with what Matt does. Um, and then making sure that for future revisions that things are designed so that they're easy to assemble so that as we scale, then, you know, these issues that we kind of see with like quality control don't sort of appear over and over again. Um, and a lot of that has to do with managing vendors, managing suppliers, manage, making sure that, you know, we're able to hit the timelines that we are. So when sales comes and says, hey, you know, Jeff, we need, you know, 500 units for our deployment, that we're able to go and say, hey, yeah, we can have those um, either in stock or in you know, X amount of days. 
So since you do the you do the physical mechanical design then of like the enclosure, is that right then? Right. Okay. Uh, so the mechanical enclosure, we actually had someone else design it. Uh, gotcha. But moving forward, it would be something that, though I wouldn't be designing it, I would have input into. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So it's not like you. It's not like you and Matt like argue like I need that mounting hole moved over 0.1 millimeters, and Matt's like that runs into R13. <laughs> not yet. Soon. <laughs> Soon we will be. Yeah. The, the mechanical design of the device is actually uh, very elegant and pretty complex, actually. It, it is. I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of it can be slimmed down. A lot of it was in the very beginning when you have sort of your minimum viable product and, and you run with it and, and sort of it takes a lot of life of its own. Whereas if you had more time, you could then go back and and put a little bit more thought into it. Uh, but I mean, if it works, then, then you know, and there, there's demand for it, then, then you've yeah, we're we're really happy with how it looks. It's just yeah, be nice if we could assemble it faster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in my days at the fab, I remember uh, going through your your product and looking at the bill of materials, and there was one particular item that I always laughed at. There's a thing called a gore vent uh, that goes on the side of it, and we always joked around like, "What needs a gore vent?" You know. <laughs> Yeah, hey, what's a gore vent? I actually don't know about this part. It's like a rubber grommet, right? <laughs> it's a it's it's an air permeable seal. So like we have a semi waterproof device that we need. We, the pressure sensor obviously needs to be able to get some access to the outside world. Um, I think the initial samples we got were literally gore brand, which is why we always called it a gore vent. So thankfully, <laughs> it's just air that we need to pass through the vent. Nothing else. <laughs> Just giblets everywhere. <laughs> um, so actually, the pressure sensor um, is, can y'all tell us the part, like, is it sensitive enough to know if it's like at standing height versus like on the floor, which is like, what, four feet of difference? It's more a wind, it's more an absolute value. So we can tell if you move. Um, gotcha. Okay. No, knowing the height of a person would be help. Like it, it can definitely be helpful, but in, in our case, we mainly just need to see how much you move. We don't need to know like, Oh, you're four feet off the ground. We, we can kind of, well, no, that's what I'm saying. Is, is, is it precise enough to know that amount of distance? That's actually impressive from that. Whoever manufactures that part. It, it, it's conveniently the same sensor as a pixel. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the pixel that I have right here has got one of those in it, huh? If it's the pixel one, yeah. So Parker, so what, what Matt's saying is that we could take your phone, take it apart one day when you're not looking, and it just pull that one part out. Exactly. <laughs> no, it'd be like our our manufacturing floor will just say, "Hey, we need one more of these parts," and I'm like, "Oh, now, <laughs> now we know. Now now we will volunteer your phone for you. Yeah, for overage." <laughs> <laughs> part overage I'm going to ship you uh, a box of pixels we found on the side of the road so you can tear them apart and shove the parts into our product <laughs> alright so since uh, since February 2017 what has been the major engineering challenges have y'all been scaling up this product just jumping right into it oh yeah I went from like super goofy to just like straight up like 
the yeah, hard-hitting question. That's a gut punch right there. Oof, yeah. yeah. That's what Matt's been working on for the last, what, seven months? Uh, seven months? Yeah, it's seven or eight months now. So we used to use an Intel Edison as the processor, as our SOM um, in our device. And that conveniently, totally conveniently, went EOL in like about three months, which is like a third the time that you normally get for an EOL part. Yeah, uh, usually usually a company would be like, yeah, we're going to get rid of these in about two years. And Intel, we, we talked about this on the podcast, Intel was just like, yeah, we're just not going to make these anymore. What's on the market is left is what's there. Oh, they dropped the floor. Yeah, we we had the opportunity. We literally got an email saying, order what you can. The fab shuts down in December. That's it. And as a startup, we, I mean, we can't just go and be like, all right, I want 50,000 of these things so we never have to worry about it again. We, we bought what we could and then started the mad dash to find a different processor to put in our device. And we ended up finding a module. Um, I think it's a digi module, a digi part that works well. But it, yeah, you, you don't expect to have to do a sidestep just to make your product work. And it, it's an interesting... It, it, yeah, on the electrical side of things, we went, I had to completely redesign the board. There's always the ifs of like, there's always the, the weird quirks of bringing up a whole new thing. Took a couple of revisions there. But also it's the switch from x86 to ARM and all the software requirements that go in there. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. You basically, you probably had to rewrite a lot of the software. Yeah, um, one of the big things that we had an issue with is the edison the edison for what it was is actually pretty great it, it's a dual core processor with uh i believe four gigs of memory and a gig of ram which when we were shopping around for parts that fit in the same size ish was impossible to find we, we're not running that much memory and ram anymore which i mean in the long run is great for us because we can improve how we run everything but it was uh, not expected, and so it was. It was, but fun design challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun, but then you also realizing that hey, you're spending six to seven months of you know full time work just trying to get your device to not not improve, but to behave the same. So, you know, this is time and money that you could have spent elsewhere getting the product better, but instead, you're hey, just just to exist, just for the company, for the company to exist, you have to spend this giant chunk of time and money on. So. And by then, sort of the mechanical side is already made, and so you have these size constraints. So it's not like you can swap out any old part just to, just for it. So. Yeah, you've already got your molds made for your enclosure and stuff like that, so you have to fit, basically redesign the core of your product in six months and make it fit the existing enclosure. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely, I'm sure Jeff can attest to this. I, I am a broken record. We're like, can we make a mold change? Can we make a mold change? I want a little <laughs> bit more room. Can I have some more room? <laughs> That's what we were talking about earlier. So it, it, is ha- it does happen. It does happen. So Thanks it's the leaving. opposite way. I need to move this mounting hole 0.1 millimeters over so I can fit R13. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a row of components at the very top of our board that I had to go from, I think I tried... So like everything's pretty much 0402 and I'm just like, I can't fit this. So I have a whole row of components as 0201 just because I couldn't fit anything else. It's great. 
that's fun. (laughs) So, so did you guys, uh, well, you, you did pick up some Edison's to hold you guys over. Have you exhausted those and you're onto the new device yet? Yep. The, the Edison's are all gone and, uh, they actually were microfab is building the new version now. So, so you guys have rolled over what, uh, what was your plan for doing that and how did it, uh, how did it all come out? So a lot of it, at least on the electrical portion, um, I worked heavily with Aditya to Aditya was doing most of the research into the modules themselves. Um, cause he had a bit of better connections with that, that realm. Um, and once we kind of settled on a couple of them, we, we were talking about like maybe the manufacturer could make their board, make a board change to fit all of our parts or like, we'll have some design help from them or like uh, either we'll just implement it ourselves. Um, what ended up working out was just, we can buy the module. We, do our carrier board and then go from there. Um, and we ended up finding the pretty much the only part that would really fit on our board was the one we settled on. And then it was just half mad dash to, we have a little bit of time here and there to just kind of churn through revisions. You can tell the revisions that I have from the amount of bodge wires that like just spawn off the board. It's pretty great. <laughs> And you're like, oh, hey, that boot mode doesn't work. Let's switch it. So grab the exacto, cut the traces, and run a bunch of wires everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think Stephen, to answer your other question more, it's also from sort of like a supply chain side. It's in an ideal world, you build as many as you can to to have a buffer, and then you have that buffer stock while you then switch over to start your digi run so that you have some time in between to work out any of the kinks. Uh, for us, though, it ended up being build as many as you have on stock that you were able to buy earlier, and then just switch over your manufacturing, your next run over to Digis and work out the kinks as you go along. So it wasn't ideal, but I mean, it, when you're forced to, to, do the, to do so, then you, you, know, you, you make it work. So, I mean, you... you uh Matt said this was like this digi part was like the only part that you could replace the Edison with. Was there any other considerations for this part? Like, are they guaranteeing like years down the road for the part now? So I think one of the things, um, it's an NXP processor. It's a uh, IMX6UL, I believe. And I have, I think those are guaranteed for five or six years. The processors themselves um but I, I again it was just kind of if we it don't works. have things we don't have a company and we need to get something out the door yeah um, yeah it's like pivoting your company to do the exact same thing well in, in that were you able to potentially enhance or fix things that you weren't really thinking of doing with the edison um, so what we were able to actually, we were able to, uh, I've, we were able to add some extra connectivity to the device in the sense that we have a couple, we have some pins on the back. So now I have a couple more interfaces there, um, mainly USB. And then we were able to just beef up our battery management a bit. So we have, we had, we had a decent battery management to begin with, but now I, I've gone and added an actual proper BMS chip and some other stuff. And so since this, this actually happened during your all's process of scaling up. So what kind of design changes did y'all make to the board to make that easier? The board with the, the, so 
one of the things is that the process, the module that we got is surface mount versus the Edison module, which kind of, I mean, it connects on a connector and then, but we had to bolt it down. So we actually, um, I think it was in a roundup or two ago, those pen, pen tech standoffs, mm-hmm. we actually use those for the Edison. Um, and then we'd screw the board down just that way it never came off the the carrier board we have. So that kind of simplified the process. We, we inadvertently simplified the process of assembling these boards because um, that way you can do the entire SMT assembly just on the SMT line instead of having to build the board, bring in, a, bring in the uh, um, Edison module, plug it in, and do a me- mechanical assembly as well. Um, some of the things we learned, some of the other things, like the placement of the battery leads and uh the motor leads and so on we were able to change based on feedback from the assembly line as we were building these building the edison units to the the digi units but um other than that not a huge amount changed just because we are extremely space constrained and we didn't like most most of what we do is within the processor itself so we didn't have to add a huge amount otherwise yeah, I think from a mechanical side, I think it might have even been a step backwards just because the antenna had to be a separate part and then that had to be added in. Um, so, I mean, it would have been great to be to say that we had the chance to re- redesign the mechanical portion to make assembly easier, but uh, really didn't happen, at least for, for that, that side of things. I have to say, like, in terms of changing the wearable to scale, um, that's something we're working on now. Because we've we've pretty much gotten over the hurdle of, okay, now we have a working hardware. Now it's, and Jeff can talk to, more to this, is just how do we, A, bring it from hundreds of units to tens of thousands plus eventually? Uh, and how can we reduce the amount of time it takes to assemble? Do we need these complicated parts? What, what can we do to simplify this process kind of thing? Yeah, can you expand on that, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's my point. So a lot of it is, um, so when the part was, so the, when the wearable was first designed, it was, and I mentioned this earlier, it was sort of like a minimum viable product. It was meant to be more of a proof of concept and, you know, used, and it was a very nice proof of concept. And so people didn't bought it. And, you know, once the ball started getting rolling or once the ball started rolling, um, it's hard to sort of pull it back. So there are a lot of things that we learned along the way in terms of, you know, how these things should be assembled, what are the major pain points, um, that we're now looking into for our next revision to sort of take this into account and say, how do, hey, how do you build a product now that you know you're selling not just hundreds, but you know, thousands or tens of thousands? And so with those things in mind, you know, like, are you paying attention to you know, assembly? Are you paying attention to uh, certain things that you, you now have more time to think about? Um, if that makes if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. I mean, you spent the last, you know, eight to ten months basically redoing what the company did the previous couple of years just to catch back up to getting around a part basically falling off the market. And <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does feel like feel like especially at a startup where you you're going from you know putting out one fire to another. And so there's always something that's burning and you a lot of it is sort of managing managing priorities and saying, hey, you know, of these things, I mean, as, for, as it relates to to scaling up, you know, of these things, which things are the, the most important, which things are the lowest hanging fruit. And if you, 
you know, only have a set amount of time before you have to, you know, deploy, you know, your second generation, you know, which things is it sort of more, most worthwhile to focus your attention on? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah that's, you know, we have well, had the same thing at, at Macrofab uh, as a startup is um, you have effort to do X and then you also have the impact of X. And so you want to maximize impact by lowering and also lowering the amount of uh, effort to do X. And if that's the right balance, then you do X. Right, right. And there's also so many features that Matt and I would love to add onto the wearable. Uh, but at the end of the day, it has to still make business sense. Like from an engineering perspective, it'd be so great if we could add, you know, X, Y, Z functionality. But in the end, if, you know, the customer doesn't need it or... It needs to work in space, right? Yeah. Then you have to put it aside and, you know, Matt and I can just build our dream wearable as like a fun hobby but but for, for this it has to it has to make sense yeah yeah it's funny um, we have one of those moonshot interview questions just to kind of see how people think and it's quite literally like what would you do to make this work in space is the gist of that question <laughs> oh, that's cool you know hey space. let's actually go let's go down that route how would you make the device or uh re- the reflex work in space i would just build it into a suit See, see, I'm not sure I asked this question during my interview. So now I haven't. I don't have anything prepared. I, I think for this. this would be a cool. Uh, like the like. I guess it depends also what you define as space. Is it like in zero? It's definitely zero gravity when people just say space. But is it? But is it in the ISS, or is it actually exposed to the elements in the vacuum? Yeah, are you on a space station? Are you outside? Are you on a planet? Are you on an asteroid? There's so many different options. One of the, one of the things with that question that was it was mainly um, like how would you communicate with many devices kind of thing. Um, so it was kind of like what would you use to communicate? And it's like trying to see like would you use stuff like LoRa or what? What can you apply to actually think about? Uh, I don't even know how. Like I'm just trying to think of how I would truly answer that question. Also, how long do you want it to last? I mean, I'm sure we can make it last for a few seconds, but are you talking years like of being before the OLED display boils out? Yeah, how, how quickly? <laughs> how, do, how does an off-the-shelf lithium-ion battery handle a negative 300 degrees Fahrenheit? Do I want to know? Would you still need a Corvette for that? I was about to say you got to get rid of the Corvette. <laughs> Back, let's just dump the entire thing in silicone. See if that'll work. Actually, that that'll probably off gas too. I think silicone off gases pretty heavily. Yeah, even regular FR four out gases. So you'd have to use a special space rated FR four probably. So how much are you willing to pay for this? <laughs> it's starting at a low, low price of a hundred thousand dollars a device plus internet fees. And I'm not. I'm not. To be honest, I'm not even sure astronauts need it. I mean, I mean, are you are you worried about high risk postures when you're out in space? You probably have other other more pressing things to worry about than than your back. Probably. We'd also like teleoperate our robots. Do the robots get bad lifts? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna stay in warehouses, and uh, we'll see about the Reflex Space Edition sometime in the next couple of years. One day, one day when when Elon Musk is building his Mars colony, and then those workers need it, then we, we will we'll have that discussion. But uh, I mean, they're gonna have space warehouses, so yeah, yeah. So when that happens, 
So, so with the lead electrical engineer and the head of manufacturing at Kinetic, I'm sure you guys both have a bit of sway on new designs, right? So you can put all these in, right? All these requests. They'll probably get shot down, but you can put them yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm imagining what would happen if we presented the idea of the space wearable. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, look, from a complete outsider's perspective, other than the fact that I've spent maybe like an hour or two with Aditya and Mihail, they have a sense of humor, but I don't know if they have that much of a sense of humor. <laughs> See, they're, they're used to me talking about space nonstop. So they'd be like, okay, Matt, that sounds like a good idea. You know, go back and continue working on the charging dock. <laughs> I think they would think that gone insane. So if Jeff says that, they, yeah, they, they would definitely think he'd gone insane. Or or that I've spent too much time with Matt That's in a closed environment. And actually, you know what? That, that brings up uh, that brings up another question that uh, I I had earlier. Um, how on a day to day basis, how often do you two work together, and what what do you guys do together? I usually turn my chair and go, hey, Jeff, I've got a question about every 10 minutes. <laughs> Sounds about right. Now, so, I mean, I think of the people that work together in the office, I think Matt and I work uh, work pretty close together um, just because there's so much overlap between mechanical and electrical. There's so much overlap between sort of the supply chain stuff and sort of, because I mean, even when I'm ordering parts for, you know, the next run, I mean, a lot of it's still, like half the bomb is still all electrical. So a lot of it needs Matt's input. And a lot of times when we, and this is one of the issues that we run into while we're scaling as well, where, you know, you'll buy out, you know, all the parts on like DigiKey. And so, you know, what what alternates are there? And, you know, what are the lead times for those alternates? And, uh, and hey, you know, if you have no parts, like what's the plan? Yeah. So. Is, is this 0.1 microfarad capacitor okay to sub in? Right. Right. And then, I mean, I, I can't answer that question on my own. So it's a lot of it is me asking Matt, Hey, can we, can we do this? Or rather him saying, Hey, we have no more parts. Yeah. That happens over the summer. That was, there was a point where I had found an alternate, went to go buy it, wanted to check with a coworker just to make sure like we were all set for ordering things. Got to my desk and it was gone. <laughs> that was probably welcome awesome. to passives. <laughs> yes, I have. I am pretty sure I have bought out DigiKey and Mauser combined on at least four to five parts. So if something disappeared to zero, that was me. Oops. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I think I think even for um, you know mechanical stuff, we've had suppliers then reach out and they and then be like, hey. We noticed you put in a really large order. Do you want us to, you know, prepare ahead of time in the future? You know, so it, it does happen as you as you start ordering more and more parts. Um, and so, so it's nice to start developing those sort of vendor relationships as well. Um, then you can negotiate more prices. You you for that sort of like more personal relationship, you can then get more sway and sort of like when they do have very long lead times, you can then go in and sort of negotiate with them on you know either partial shipments or. Pay a little more and get yours put ahead in the line, stuff like that. Right, right. You you know you bribe them with cookies or or whatnot. Uh, <laughs> chocolate covered pecans. Yes, exactly. I think you said pecans earlier. Yeah, I did pecans. Is that is that not how you say it down south? Not the south. <laughs> <laughs> they say pecans up here in Colorado. But I mean, te- technically, we we are in New York, so I think Matt's rightfully pronouncing it. Yeah. 
the, one of the other things like with, on, on the, in regards to like buying parts and everything is one thing we've been learning is just managing lead times. It's interesting going from, Oh, Hey, I can just pick up 10,000 of these on Digikey to, Hmm, now I need 150,000. I should probably make sure I've got 10 weeks at minimum. So like that, that's definitely something you have to watch out for as you go from hundreds of prototypes or even building by hand to, okay, now we just put in this giant multi-thousand unit order and we need a million components. Yeah, it's it's one thing when it's like a passive part or a jelly bean like transistor where you can find substitutes anywhere. But when you need this one specific part, that's where that stuff comes, uh, comes into, into play. Um, I, remember, I remember building boards uh, for uh, a pin, pinball machine and I, we need one specific microcontroller and the lead time was like 12 weeks and it's just like uh, no <laughs> yeah uh, 12 weeks later i have to wait yeah i mean because i mean it, it also affects you know sales right when when the sales guys come and say hey we have this really large order and that takes out you know half of your inventory you know then you need to replace that and so you can't and then so they come back later you know a week later and say hey we have this second large order you can't be like okay wait 20 weeks you know <laughs> Yeah, we, 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 our customers are amazing, but sometimes they have uh, immediate needs. They want their, they want their things quickly. So well, they want it a, now. They want yes. it yesterday. I, that has yeah. happened. I, I, amazing idea. Amazon yesterday prime. <laughs> exactly. Box shows up the day before you order it. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is already on it. Probably. Yeah. He's using AI predictive technology. To figure out what you want to buy. <laughs> so, is that going to happen before the device goes to space? Probably. <laughs> Amazon will already have a hub on Mars for your farming. You can just Probably. you can get your stuff right there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Amazon will ship. Amazon's new uh, shipping service will ship our device, our wearables to Mars, so we can sell them on Mars. Can you do that Prime two day to Mars? I, I think that's available now. I would say with enough energy, you can do anything. Enough fusion reactors, and you can get yourself there in a couple days. <laughs> so Jeff, you're in charge of the uh, supply chain. Is that correct? Right. Right. So you, uh, it sounds like you wear quite a, quite a few hats because you you got your hand in talking about design work, especially the mechanical side. You're also in charge of manufacturing, but but supply chain at the same time. How do you handle all that? Lots of Excel sheets. Uh, there's a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, because manufacturing and supply chain is so closely intertwined, it's it, it almost seems like a natural extension for that part and. And supply chain, it's something that in an ideal world, once you lock down, at least, on the, at least on the mechanical side, it's relatively straightforward. You know your lead times, all your parts are custom anyways. And so it's just a matter of placing them in. And um, the longest lead time components are electrical. And so if you know if Matt's like, hey, I need 20 weeks for this lead time, then you know in 20 weeks, I have plenty of time to get all the mechanical side um, in order. And so it's just managing those shipments and making sure that everything arrives in time. And I guess one of the other issues that we've run into as we scale up is managing space in the office. Uh, it's, it's, it's one thing to get, you know, five boxes of, you know, six inch 
by six inch cubes, you know, and they will fly 10 components each. Now that we're, you know, taking in thousands of units and you have thousands of components, where are you storing them? Right. And so do you have enough space in your office to store everything? And so, so our hardware area in the office is quite, quite a mess. (laughs) Um, I cram a lot in about 15 by 20. It's great. Yes. A lot of cardboard boxes, you have them stacked all around your desk. And so it's, it, it's, it's something that you, you should be aware of. And that's one of the hard things of, of being in New York City. I mean, it's nice, uh, but you're also even more space constrained. And it's not like you can receive palletized shipments easily and ship them out again. I, I remember uh, before Macrofab, um, I was working with Chris Church. at, at uh, He's our, he's our uh, chief product officer. Um, working with him at a company called dynamic perception and we would get shipments in like in bulk like that. And you'd get all the aluminum and basically the entire manufacturing floor would be full of aluminum extrusion for basically the next four months. And you couldn't do anything else besides like walk around aluminum, but that wasn't even the worst. The worst was when we would get the packaging in and it was just the foam inserts and we would fill everyone's offices with foam inserts, pallets of foam inserts. And so I would come in one day and be like, okay, now I, I can basically wiggle through my office and get to my desk because there's just foam yeah. everywhere. And then and then you walk out and you have little foam pebbles just like stuck to your shirt. Everywhere. It's just, <laughs> yeah, I regularly awful. establish Fort Kinetic, which consists of inbound materials, outbound inventory, and whatever prototypes I'm working on that go on top. So, so, so it's Matt in his little cardboard cardboard box fort. So, with the it's like child monitors lighting it, like the, the torches that you put in Minecraft kind of thing. <laughs> Your own little <laughs> cave. Yep. The best part yeah, is so the office area that we're in. It's very well lit, except the corner we're in because we're under a bunch of um, HVAC equipment. So they they tried. They did a good job, but it's definitely a little bit darker than the rest of the room. <laughs> And so it's like the stereotype of like having the the engineers in the dark corner and in the back separated from all the normal people. <laughs> yeah, that was that's actually the thing at uh, at Macrofab. The um, developers like it to be really dark, and so I always come in and flip the lights on and wake up. <laughs> I call them the trolls. <laughs> I gotta wake the trolls up at that side of the office. <laughs> I'm all, yeah. This- so- yeah, I think ours might even be worse because I think our software team is in a whole different location up in Saratoga Springs. So we've we've banished them there, which is <laughs> we we banished them to the north. Winter's coming. <laughs> the best part, like they're always complaining about it snowing. We're like, oh, it's still like sixty degrees in New York City and sunny. There's no snow on the ground. It's great. It's that much warmer in in New York compared to Saratoga. Enough. Uh, 60 degrees is a little high right now, but I'd like to go to weather.com to figure out how warm it is. It's cold. I mean, it's it's colder because they're they're all they're, they're so also and then and we have subways heating our ground. I guess. Yeah, we just have <laughs> twenty million people making it ten degrees warmer. There you go. All that little space heaters. Yeah. You gotta imagine all that dead skin flakes oh. and body heat. <laughs> well, let, let me bring it back. That's what the event is for. Uh, so what's, uh, what's new? Are you guys working on, I guess, Rev 2.0 because you, I guess the, what you just did was 1.5 in a way, right? Or, or 1.0 plus, 
Uh, so, so is 2.0 in the mix right now? While we are talking, well, our kind of primary focus is doing the value engineering thing. There's no reason we can't make things look better or be like, oh, hey, it'd be really cool to do that. Because, I mean, one of the things is right now our dock is made of plastic. It's really hard to assemble. We've learned. Um, we actually had a great example of that. We had a customer, one of our bigger ones, be like, hey, we need something special kind of thing. And what we came up with is one of the, on top of this is a, we build a 10-unit dock normally, and we decided to build a 50-unit dock. It looks a little bit better. It's a lot less cabling and so on. And while we're going through this assembling this, because this is the equivalent of 100 docks that we had to rapidly put together, I'm pretty sure we found every possible pain point that we could. Um, and one of the things is, like, the value engineering we're doing is more towards, like, getting rid of a lot of those and in the process, we can make things look better. Like making it look better, per the, like the new product idea, is actually making it way simpler to assemble. Yeah. So I think so. Just imagine, you know, Matt and, and myself, you know, sitting in a room building these giant docks over and over again, and you know, and I think and I think a lot of the, the learnings come from you know when you actually build these units by hand by yourself, and then you you are sort of intimately aware of all the you know places where you can do better next time, and so. Like what Matt was saying, a lot of it is improving it so that it is better designed for assembly, and a lot of the cost savings then come from it being easier to assemble. One of the interesting, like when we started working with Macrofab, we had actually built two hundred ish, a little bit more than that, devices in house. Like I, that was one of the first things I did at the company, um, and that's how we built our work instructions. That's how we we didn't just show up with a pile of parts, we were actually able to present something and be like, hey, this is how we built it. What do you think of that? And go from there. I mean, it's changed dramatically since. We, we Two people building it versus a couple more people and a much larger scale changes things, obviously. But I think that was incredibly valuable for both sides of the, the parties. Uh, and, and, and getting more people to look at it and be like, oh, you know, there might be an easier way to do this one step. Or put this step in a different spot because it makes more sense. And also, I think it's a, I think it's important to note that I don't think I have ever seen work instructions from a customer as beautifully done as Kinetic has done them. They, they're akin to a very well put together Lego set. They actually have like a legend where it's like you need one X of these parts and two X of these parts, and every image is three D rendered on how to do that particular step. It's incredible. I need to send you the new ones because they've gotten even better, I feel. Oh, have they um, really? Yes. So the beautiful thing about those instructions is our designer is also, he also builds his own 3D printers, so he knows both ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So that's how you get those wonderfully made instructions. Oh, they're fantastic. Uh, like, you, you never, ever get anything like that from a customer. So that one time that you do, you're like, oh, my gosh. And it's a complicated build, so it's nice. It's very nice to have something like that. Yeah, so it's one of those things where documentation is a pain um, to do so, and it does take up a lot of, of your time. But once you do have these things documented, it's much easier to maintain them. And whenever you have, you know, times in which you do need to drop, you know, give people work instructions or, you know, then... You you've already have you already have these made, and so you don't need to spend 
you know, an hour or two describing how to do this one step when you can just give them the you know, documents that you've already invested time in beforehand to make. And so before we sign out, is there anything y'all would like to say to yourselves like two years ago before you started to scale up? So someone in y'all were in your prototype phase building these like one-off kind of units. What would you go back and tell them? And it can't be, don't use the Intel Edison. <laughs> when I joined the company, I was actually an intern. And what I didn't realize at the time that those were one of, those are like our original pilots and customers and first gen hardware. What I would have told myself is pay more attention to the fact that you're building the first ones because I didn't quite, yeah, you, you don't realize until you're like, oh, wait a minute, we could have done this differently. And it's just like, oh, that, that assembly could have been done differently because you're, you, I, I, I had the preconception that this is all thought out. And that is not something that was true. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're, we we yeah we get what you're going. Yeah, and I think I think for me though, it's it's really take the time to um, think about how you want to scale or how what issues you'll have with the current design. You know, if you're earlier on, like what issues you'll have as you scale, um, and you know. Sure, you can build you know one-offs, but if you were doing things at scale, like what issues are you going to run into, and how are you going to solve those solve those problems, uh, and sort of really rely on the network of people that you have around you. And I think most startup founders are are aware of this, and they have a great network. Um, so being able to draw on those and you know ask people for advice, um, and and sort of have them review your work, it, it would save you know a lot of pain points down the road. Jeff said my statement much more eloquently. <laughs> I, I had the time that you were thinking to, to think about what I was going to say. Well, cool. So, so I guess um, you apply those tomorrow for a year, two years from now. So. Exactly. Well, in two years, we'll come back and, and then you can be like, Jeff, so did you listen to what your, your, own, your own advice? And I'll be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to, to say that in hindsight, of course. They would have ignored the advice and built the, uh, the Reflex exactly. Space Edition. Exactly, yeah. Instead. Maybe this one one reflex that's covered in silicone globs. <laughs> so Matt and Jeff, where can people like get in contact with you or uh, find out more about y'all? We have well, we have we have our website, which is wherekinetic.com. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about the product and potentially deploying it, we have a contact page on that. Um, and then we have a slight social media presence on Instagram and Twitter, although they're sparse. And I think the most recent Instagram picture is uh, actually of a lot of charging. Not so, so I guess so, we should also know that Matt is also our social media manager right now. Manager and snag order. So if you reach out on Instagram, you will reach Matt. <laughs> he will. Yes. Can people suggest snacks? On social media. That is a slippery Whoa. slope, but I am completely open to that. You are. <laughs> can we have a Macrofab podcast plays kinetic uh, snack ordering? Well, I like this idea. Like, like Twitch plays Pokemon, but ordering kinetic snacks. They can so they can <laughs> order them and they can pay for them. We might just not give them back to them. We might not ship to them. So if you want to buy snacks, I'm all I'm all for it. Jeff, I need to show you Twitch Plays Pokemon. I don't understand Twitch. I'm sorry. It's one of the most confusing <laughs> things in the world. Where if, why would people watch people, other people play games? It, 
Zero offense. We we are on opposite spectrums here. <laughs> it's it's like sports, Jeff. It's like pecan. It's like pecan. <laughs> Even yeah. Okay, I'm also probably an outlier, but it's like you know why watch baseball on TV when you can just play baseball? You know, or it's just I don't understand. It's but you can play baseball on TV. See that I can on Twitch. That I can understand if you if you're actually playing it, it makes sense. But if you're just like in the stands watching baseball like the main draw is like the soda and the beer and the hot dogs but then that's you're not even watching the game then <laughs> we can agree to disagree on this point <laughs> yeah, strong opinions on twitch <laughs> <laughs> so um, i think if you want to find us on the internet it's where kinetic and then i am completely open to uh snack suggestions so if, if you if you tweet snack kinetic <laughs> that's where you can get a hold of them on on twitter if <laughs> <laughs> that's available that handle probably probably so so it's, it's where kinetic.com yes cool and uh with that oh actually there's one more thing um there's also a case study about kinetic on the macfab website so if you go to macfab.com boom there's a uh case study there that talks about scaling up and all those hardships that we just talked about, you know, running as snacks and that kind of <laughs> the stuff. The very important things. As you scale up, you also will need yes. Yeah, you can't can't run out of chocolate pecans. Pecans. <laughs> <laughs> and with the uh, pecans, pecan moment, uh, do you all want to sign yeah, us sure. out? So that was the Microfab Engineering Podcast. We are your guests. Jeff Dome. Matt Glazer. <laughs> and we are your host, Parker Dillman. <laughs> and Stephen Craig. See you later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer. That's with no O's in Longhorn. Or at E-N-G. I think that stands for at, no, my bad at analog ENG. And I think that ENG stands for engineer or email us at podcast at macfab.com. And we have a new mailing list for the podcast. So go to macfab.com slash blog slash podcast. There'll be a little pop-up punch in your email address and bam, you will get our new mailing list. It's kind of like subscribing to the podcast in a different way, an interesting way. Uh, also, check out our Slack channel. Steve and I hang out there all the time, commenting on the latest podcast, and we always chat with our fans. Uh, I think we're getting to about 300 people in that Slack channel now. So, yeah, go join the fun. Push it over that 300 number. And if you're not subscribed to that podcast, uh, uh, the podcast, our podcast, if you're not subscribed to our podcast yet, click that subscribe button, like in iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using. Um, so that way you get the latest MEP episode right when in, right when the RSS feed lands. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. It also makes Steven and I feel really good. Thanks again, guys. <laughs>